welcome back to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, September 10th, 2023, and I'm back with you today to share a few observations on Ohio State's uninspired 35-7 home opening win over Youngstown State in the Horseshoe yesterday. Let's dive right into it. I want to start, of course, with the quarterbacks. Now, I thought it was a really good day for Kyle McCord. I thought he was pretty efficient, 14 of 20 for 258 yards and three touchdown passes in only 30 snaps. Now, two of those touchdown passes were, of course, to Marvin Harrison Jr., who finished with seven receptions on 12 targets for 160 yards. Harrison Jr. scored on pass plays of 71 and 39 yards. McCord also hit Emeka Ibuka on a fourth down play for a 28-yard catch and run that went for another touchdown. I'm sure Paige and Chad, by the way, were really happy to see that play. Ohio State throwing on fourth and short instead of running the ball, you know, like into the boundary, as as we all know Ryan Day likes to do. Uh, Ibuka finished with five catches on nine targets for 94 yards. He also had 64 yards after the catch, so a really productive day for Ibuka. I appreciated that Ryan Day was much more intentional about getting the ball to his star receivers in this game. And look, it was Youngstown State. It really shouldn't have been all that difficult. And certainly in the early going, it wasn't. Now, like last week against Indiana, Devin Brown entered the game on Ohio State's fourth possession, and he would lead the Buckeyes on a 13-play, 60-yard touchdown drive that included a conversion on fourth and seven from the YSU 39-yard line. It was a nice play by Brown. He was flush from the pocket on the play. He hit G. Scott Jr. on the run for nine yards to keep the chains moving. So we got to see a little bit of that playmaking everyone was talking about during the offseason. But we also saw some of the inconsistency that we heard about from Brown in this game. He twice missed Emeka Ibuka on crossing routes that should have gone for easy first downs. And he missed him pretty badly, actually. He also had an incompletion of Marvin Harrison Jr. that was pretty far off the mark. He... He threw it high on the play. Now, Trevian Henderson would cap that first drive by Brown with a 13-yard touchdown run. Brown would lead Ohio State on another scoring drive later in the game on Ohio State's second possession of the third quarter. That drive went five plays, 51 yards, and it was also capped by a Trevion Henderson touchdown run, this time for 30 yards. And that would be Ohio State's only score the second half. Only three real possessions for the Buckeyes in the second half, you know, that running clock is really limiting possessions for Ohio State. I don't want to overstate it. I, Ryan Day has really been bitching about it, but uh, but it has been a factor. Uh, Ohio State, far fewer possessions in these games uh, than a year ago. Now, on the day, Brown was 7 of 13 for 101 yards. He actually played more snaps than Kyle McCord, 36. McCord only had 30. Brown also ran six times for for only 16 yards. He also fumbled on one of those carries deep in Ohio State territory and was very lucky to get the ball back. Uh, Brown was also sacked twice. (laughs) I'm not sure how or where the rumor that Brown is this, you know, dynamic runner started. But from what I saw yesterday, there is virtually no difference athletically between him and Kyle McCord. I mean, neither of them is a statue. They're both capable runners when they need to take off, but Brown isn't anywhere close to a Justin Fields or a Braxton Miller or even a JT Barrett, you know, as a runner. I don't think he brings much of anything different in the mobility department than Kyle McCord. I really don't. That's not a differentiator for me when looking at the two quarterbacks. 
And Brown was not nearly as efficient throwing the ball, and I think that's the more important category here. Um, he had four throws, Brown did, that I can remember that that missed his targets pretty badly. I've already mentioned three of them. He also threw a deep ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. that was, an, that was a wounded duck. I mean, Harrison Jr. Was, a, was able to draw a pass interference on the play, thankfully, but it was a, a really ugly-looking throw by Brown. So I would assume and I certainly hope that Ryan Day has all the information he needs now to finally settle on Kyle McCord as his starter for Western Kentucky and beyond. Now, Day was noncommittal about who his starter would be, you know, in the postgame. And that's fine. He wants to watch the film first and whatever. I'm pretty confident that when he does look at the film, he's going to see that Kyle McCord is his guy. There's just a lot more of the offense available today when McCord is at the controls. McCord at this stage is the much more efficient and accurate quarterback. And I think he has considerably more arm talent than Devin Brown, actually. Now, for the second straight week, it was a mixed bag running the ball for the Buckeyes. Uh, let's start with Trey Henderson. Give him some credit. He bounced back from a lackluster performance against IU in the opener. He only got five carries in this game, but he made the most of them. 56 yards and two rushing touchdowns. That's 11.2 yards per carry. On the other hand, Mayan Williams and Chip Trainum, you know, they each got six carries, but they only combined for 45 yards. That's only 3.75 yards per carry. Uh, not nearly good enough against an FCS defense. Neither was a huge factor in this game. The Buckeyes also had two rushing touchdowns wiped out because of penalties. In the second quarter, Trey Henderson's 17-yard touchdown was nullified by an illegal hands-to-the-face penalty by Josh Simmons. Now, Henderson would end up scoring later on that drive, thankfully. And then in the fourth quarter, Mayan Williams' four-yard touchdown run, which should have put the Buckeyes up 42-7, was wiped out by a holding penalty on Chip Trainum. The Buckeyes would end up turning the ball over on downs on that drive, unfortunately. On the day, the Buckeyes finished with a paltry 123 yards rushing on 27 carries. That's only 4.6 yards per carry against an FCS defense. It's just, it's just not good. It's not good enough. And the Buckeyes struggled on third down again. Only five of 12 on third down for the second week in a row, just not as efficient as they should be on third down. And there were also Several short yardage failures again by the Ohio State offense in this game. We remember they struggled against Indiana in that area as well. And look, the two go hand in hand, right? When you're not converting on third and short, uh, that's going to affect your third down efficiency. Let me give you a couple of examples. With the game tied at seven on Ohio State's second possession of the game, Travion Henderson was dumped for a loss on third and one from the Ohio State 41-yard line. And it was one of those, you know, very frustrating stretch plays into the boundary that Ryan Day just loves so much. Now, luckily for Ohio State, Youngstown State was flagged for a moronic late hit out of bounds on Henderson, and that allowed Ohio State to keep the ball. And then midway through the second quarter, Chip Trainum was stuffed on third and three at the YSU 29-yard line. Now, the Buckeyes would end up going for it on fourth and two, and that, that turned out to be the 28-yard catch and run for a touchdown to Emeka Buka. But, you know, Ohio State had to throw the ball on that play to convert. And again, we're talking about an FCS defense. Ohio State should be able to impose its will in the run game against an opponent like Youngstown State to convert short yardage situations like that. So I was very disappointed uh, to see those short, uh, you know, short yardage failures by Ohio State in this game. Now, funny enough, and I was surprised to see this, 
looking at the PFF grades, the starting offensive line actually graded out really well in run blocking. Josh Simmons, 74.9. Now, Simmons was flagged twice, once for holding and once for the illegal hands to the face that I mentioned. Donovan Jackson finished with a grade of 85.9 in run blocking. Carson Hinsman, 80.6. Matthew Jones, 94.4. That that grade led the team. And Josh Fryer, 84.8. Yeah, this was a head scratcher to me, and I and I always like to say, you know, you have to take the PFF grades with a grain of salt. And I think this is one of those instances where the grades don't match what my eyes told me. I, I admit to not being an offensive line expert, but my eyes told me that the offensive line struggled with run blocking yesterday. I also think the final stats would suggest that as well. Only 4.6 yards per carry against an FCS defense. Again, that's just not nearly good enough. And it's confounding because run blocking should be a strength for this unit, and it's just not right now. Now, I thought the offensive line was very good protecting both McCord and Brown in this game. Uh, The starting unit graded out very well there. Josh Simmons, 90.4. That led the team. Uh, Simmons got off to a disastrous start yesterday, but he seemed to settle in after those two early penalties. And I thought he was very good in pass protection. That's not to say I still don't have a lot of questions uh, about Simmons as the long-term option at left tackle. Uh, you know, I, I still main, I'm still pretty worried about him uh, at that spot. You know, especially as Ohio State starts to, to face better defenses. Matthew Jones, he graded out 88.8 in pass blocking. Donovan Jackson, 76.8. Josh Fryer, 73, and Carson Hinsman at 70.9. I thought Ohio State was very good in in pass protection a week ago against Indiana. They were again yesterday, and hey, they should have been. It was an FCS opponent. Again, these PFF grades aren't the end-all, be-all, but uh, in this case, I thought the pass blocking grades matched what my eyes told me yesterday. But on the whole, you know, we should expect the offensive line to dominate an FCS opponent like Youngstown State, both in running and passing situations. I don't think we can say they did that yesterday, certainly not consistently. Now, I I don't think it would be fair to say they were god-awful either, but that group has some work to do. And right now, I would worry how they'd hold up against the Penn State and Michigan defensive lines, and I'm, I'm very thankful that they don't have to face either of those opponents anytime soon. Okay, let's flip over to the defense. 234 yards of total offense allowed to the Penguins, 135 through the air, 5.2 yards per pass attempt for the Penguins. On the ground, Youngstown State finished with 99 yards, rushing on 33 carries. That's three three yards per rush. Only three tackles for loss and two sacks for the Ohio State defense. Now, Denzel Burke did come up with an interception in the end zone to snuff out a promising third-quarter drive for the Penguins. More on Burke in a minute, but I thought he was great yesterday. By the way, that was the first interception by an Ohio State cornerback since 2021. Oof. Wow. So on their face, I mean, I think most of those defensive numbers I just quoted would suggest a very good day for the Ohio State defense. And I think save for one bad play where Cam Martinez was beaten for a 36-yard reception on third down during Youngstown State's only scoring drive, uh, the back seven actually played very well in this game. Uh, By the way, can we all agree that we've seen enough of Cam Martinez and that he should never play another meaningful snap for this defense again? But, you know, 
I, I don't know that we can say the defense actually played all that well, despite those numbers that I just quoted. I mean, I was very surprised to watch the Penguins march straight down the field on their first possession to tie the game at seven. That was 11 plays for 75 yards. The Penguins converted three different times on third down on that drive, including the one-yard touchdown drive by quarterback Mitch Davidson on third and goal. Uh, on the game, YSU was 7 of 19 on third down. That is entirely too much success on third down for an FCS opponent against a defense as talented as Ohio State. I was completely underwhelmed by the Ohio State defensive line in this game. The defensive ends in particular, Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimoloa, were missing persons in this game. Uh, very quiet from the pair of former five-star defensive ends against YSU. According to PFF, only one quarterback pressure for each of them. Sawyer finished with the defense's second worst grade for tackling, 25.6. It was very frustrating. On YSU's first possession of the third quarter, Sawyer had a terrible missed tackle on third and eight that allowed the Penguins to convert the first down. Through two games, Jack Sawyer only has two quarterback pressures. I think he's been barely noticeable in the pass rush for Ohio State. He was a big fat zero yesterday. We're headed into year three of Jack Sawyer. He's supposedly playing his more natural position now after the failed Jack experiment last season. When is this kid going to show up? Uh, I'm waiting. You know, I mean, he's running out of time. Personally, I'd much rather see more of Caden Curry. I, you feel Curry's presence when he steps on the field. I mean, you notice his impact as soon as he comes into the game. I'm going to be very interested to watch how Larry Johnson handles the rotation at defensive end. We're certain to see Jack Sawyer get more opportunities, of course, but I don't think anybody can deny that Caden Curry has been the more impactful defensive end between the two. And I, and I want to see more snaps for Curry moving forward. Now, I thought the interior of the defensive line was much more impactful uh, than, than the uh, defensive ends. And, you know, that was the case last week against Indiana as well. Mike Hall Jr. was good yesterday, I thought. He had the defensive line's only sack. Jade McKenzie, Tyleek Williams, and Ty Hamilton, along with Hall Jr., were among Ohio State's 10 highest graded defenders, according to PFF. And that was for the second week in a row. But, you know, back to the splash plays, and I think, you know, you have to hold the entire defensive line accountable here. Uh, Only three tackles for loss, only two sacks and one forced turnover. I talked about this all offseason, only 18 takeaways last year for the Buckeyes. Now, not counting 2020, you know, the COVID season, that was the fewest number of takeaways by an Ohio State defense during the Meyer and Day eras. And last year's sack total of 34 was the program's third lowest since 2012. Again, that's not counting 2020. And right now, this defense is on pace to be even less productive in the splash play department than a year ago. The defensive line, everybody on the defensive line, but the defensive ends in particular, they have to be way more disruptive. The production is not even close to matching the hype right now. Uh, Though I will admit, look, they've been pretty good on the interior, but... You know, I want to see more production across the board from the defensive line. Again, the production has got to match the hype. Now, I, I you know, I, I referenced it earlier. I will say, you know, the back seven was pretty damn good uh, through these first two games, albeit against pretty limited offenses. I love what I'm seeing out of the Ohio State corners. Uh, Denzel Burke finished tied with Tommy Eichenberg as Ohio State's top-graded defender yesterday with a grade of 81.7. You know, Burke had that big third-quarter INT in the end zone, as I mentioned earlier. He 
great coverage by Burke. You know, he was blanketed the rece- all over the receiver and was looking back for the football. I also like what I saw from Jordan Hancock, who they moved into the slot on passing downs, which I thought was a great adjustment by Jim Knowles. I think we're probably going to see Hancock sub in for Sonny Styles to play cover safety on passing downs. That, to me, seems like a no-brainer now moving forward. I also like what I saw to Davis and Igbenosa. Now, I know he allowed five receptions on six targets, and that was frustrating for some fans. I saw a lot of folks complaining about that on Twitter yesterday. But they were all very short, kind of inconsequential completions. Um, and Igbenosa was right there to make the tackle every single time. And I, again, I love the way Igbenosin plays the run, big physical corner. So I absolutely love what I'm seeing out of the Ohio State corners. They are a difference-making unit so far. Looking forward, of course, to seeing how they hold up against better passing offenses. And we're going to see that starting next week against Western Kentucky. But early returns on those three guys, uh, very, very positive. And as usual, Tommy Eichenberg was a high-impact player for the Buckeyes. He led the team in tackles with six. He had a strip sack in the third quarter that was nearly recovered by Sonny Styles. Uh, Styles, by the way, also graded very well, according to PFF. He finished as Ohio State's fifth-highest-graded defender with a grade of 74.8. I also like what I saw out of Steel Chambers. He was his usual very solid, dependable self for the Buckeyes. Chambers finished uh, tied for third in tackles with Davis and Igbenosin yesterday with five. So what do we make of this performance yesterday? It was, you know, as I said at the top, pretty uninspired. I, you know, and I said in our preview pod that I wanted to see the Buckeyes play to their standard in this game, and they didn't. And if we look at this performance through the lens of, was it good enough to beat a Penn State or a Michigan, no. No, it wasn't. And I think it's a blessing that Ohio State doesn't have to face either of those teams anytime soon, Michigan most especially, though it was funny, Ohio State and Michigan against shitty opponents both won by identical scores yesterday. And the box scores from the games actually look very similar in many areas. But Michigan's defense was far more impactful. Ten tackles for a loss, five sacks for the Wolverines against the Running Rebels, who are, by the way, a terrible G5 team, and not much better, if at all, than a solid FCS team like Youngstown State. But I think if you actually watch both games, your eyes would tell you Michigan was definitely better than Ohio State, and they're much further along at this stage than the Buckeyes, and they probably should be. But, you know, look, Ohio State only has two weeks to start playing at or near its ceiling when it's really going to matter. And that's in South Bend against Notre Dame on September 23rd. The 10th-ranked Irish looked pretty damn good yesterday. They were 45-24 to winners on the road against NC State. And look, I had the Irish on upset alert yesterday in that game. But four more touchdown passes from Sam Hartman. He looked great. 134 yards on 14 carries and two touchdowns for Audric Estime. The Irish defense forced three NC State turnovers. Notre Dame pulls away in the second half, leaving no doubt. Look, the Buckeye offensive and defensive lines have to level up very quickly now. And I actually think the defense is going to get a real test next Saturday from Western Kentucky and quarterback Austin Reed. Uh, That is a game that I think could get pretty uncomfortable for Buckeye fans if the Ohio State pass rush is ineffectual. As, as, as they were yesterday. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Look for a preview pod for the Western Kentucky game from Paige, Chad, and me this coming Thursday. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks.
have been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.